0: You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's no huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
1: Let's focus on other coaches on the hot seat, take you around the league with a good friend of the program, Jason Cole of Bleach Report. Jason, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start with Adrian Peterson. Now that he's been placed on injured reserve, ending his season, do you think there's a chance the Cardinals will want him back next year to back up David Johnson at the age of 33?
2: Well, look. Given how things ended for him in New Orleans, uh, they may want him as a backup. I don't think Adrian's going to want to be a backup, right? Like that wasn't—that was a bad marriage right, right from the beginning because there just weren't enough touches. And I think that Adrian still believes that he can play and will want to go somewhere where he thinks he can play. It will take some time before he's willing to accept, if he ever does, that he's a backup. There are some guys who just can't can't do that um they, they can't they can't see themselves in that kind of role so to me it sort of has to be more of a uh th- this is more about where adrian peterson is in his mind and his progression as, a, as an athlete
0: jason if you had to deal with the situation in cleveland as far as the head coaching job is concerned how would you deal with that considering there's only been one game won in the last two years
2: look i love you jackson so this is hard you know like there's a personal part of me that says E. Jackson can, fi- can fix this, right? Because I've seen his work. I know how disciplined he is. I know the kind of human being he is. But there's also part of me, that the logical part of me, sits here, and I like John Dorsey too, right? Let, let's, not, um, you know, uh, let's, let's not say that I favor one over the other. But part of me also who says there's a point at which athletes tune out the coach, right? And say, that guy can't help me win. And when you're 1-28 or whatever they've been at this point in time under Hugh Jackson, part of me says that players there probably don't believe that Hugh Jackson can help them win. And if they don't believe that, then they're not going to buy into what he's selling, and he's no longer viable as a head coach.
1: Taking around the league with Jason Cole, Bleacher Report. Jason, the Bengals are 5-8, and eight, and they're going to Minnesota on Sunday. Once more, Marvin Lewis is in the final year of his contract. What do you think his future looks like in Cincinnati?
2: That's funny. I was talking to somebody in, um, in Cincinnati about this earlier this week, um, and basically what they said is that, you know, Mike Brown, where where's Mike Brown's head? Is Mike Brown at the point where he knows he needs to bring somebody in to change what's going on there? Or is he so comfortable with the fact that Marvin will let him do it his way that he doesn't care anymore, right? Like, and that's the really critical question in all of this, is that if you try and hire another coach who's any good, right, then you're going to have that coach probably come into your building and tell you if you're Mike Brown, hey, look, This doesn't work. We can't have players who touch the coaches on the sideline and, you know, push them aside. We can't have, we have to do some addition by subtraction by getting rid of some of the knuckleheads who won't do it the way we want to do it. And I'm not sure that Mike Brown has a whole lot of appetite to hear that. And if he doesn't, then Marvin possibly stays. If he acquiesces to, look, it's been long enough and the fans are, are no longer happy, then Marvin's going to go. But this is all dependent on one man and what that one man believes. If this is not based on group think in any way, shape, or form.
0: When I think of the MVP award, Jason, I think of someone that's consistent um, and, and, and pretty much a difference maker in the game, um, The conversation about Antonio Brown has been, I want want to say minimal, nothing to really brag about, but he's been a game changer and he's also turned games around and and been consistent. Do you think he has an opportunity?
2: Oh, yeah, he would be in the discussion. I mean, if I was to name three to five candidates, he'd be one of them. Now, look, Carson Wentz was way at the top of that list. The fact that Carson Wentz is now out for the season – um, op- I think opens it up more for Antonio Brown. I think Ben Roethlisberger gets consideration on, on offside. I think Le'Veon Bell. Some people talk about him, but to me, it's clear that in a in an era of spectacular wide receivers, Antonio Brown may be the most spectacular. He may not be the most gifted, right? Like you wouldn't you wouldn't draw up a receiver necessarily who looks like Antonio Brown. You'd want the taller guy. You'd want the Julio Jones. You'd want the AJ Green types, right? That's more along the lines of the kind of receiver that you typically want to have, but nobody outworks Antonio Brown, and nobody makes bigger plays in a game than Antonio Brown, and nobody determines how the offense goes more than Antonio Brown. Like if he, when he's getting eight, nine, ten catches a game, they're close to unstoppable, and and you know he opens up so much, and, and yeah, he feeds off of other guys, but yeah, he's clearly in that conversation to me.
1: Looking to make history, no wide receivers ever won the MVP award in the NFL other than Jerry Rice got the designation from the Associated Press a long time ago. Jason Cole, Bleacher Report, is our guest. It's the NFL on TuneIn. Jason, what do you make of the reports indicating there's friction between Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston? As you know, Winston said the other day in public everything's fine, but what do you expect him to say?
2: I think there's friction between any human being and Dirk Cutter because of the way that he likes to... He likes to talk to people. And that's not unlike a lot of other head coaches. Cordell did. I, I always I find this stuff amusing. Cordell, did you get along with every, head co- every coach that you ever had?
0: In times I did not. Right. I mean, did care to be around them sometimes, Jason? Right. Well, I'm sorry, what? I said I didn't care to be around them sometimes.
2: Some, yeah, just, just a couple of times, right? Yeah, like just a, a couple. couple of times every day. Yeah, right. and right. so here's here's a story that I, I once sat in Otto Graham's living room. He was in his 70s at the time, still you know before the before he really started to get sick and his mind went right. So he's telling me a story about him and Paul Brown, right? And he's telling me about how Paul Brown took him out of a game because he ran the you know, he left the pocket too early one time, and Paul Brown got angry, so he put in his backup. And Otto Graham sat there and said, "If I, I was sat there on the sideline, and if I had a gun, I would have walked up and I would have shot Paul Brown right then, right? Wow. That's how angry he was with Paul Brown. He's laughing as he's telling it, right? They won seven titles in ten years. Now, granted, it wasn't the NFL that we know today, but they made it work. And the whole point about this is when you're competing at this level, you don't always see eye to eye. And sometimes you need – as an athlete and as a coach, that kind of creative dissonance, like we're going to argue and fight about this and we're going to come up with the right answer and you know be damned if we're not going to find a way to do this. That's what great competitors do, and it's you know it's ugly sometimes it's not pleasant sometimes, and again, I defer to you, Cordell, but I've heard tons of stories, and so if they don't get along, okay as as long as they can sit in a meeting room, and actually talk, and it's not gotten to the point where it's either him or me kind of stuff, then this is kind of typical of how coaches and players, you know, work, especially when things aren't going well. And right now, things are not going well in
0: Tampa Bay. I mean, just think about New England when you had Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels actually going through their shout match in the blizzard they had out there in Buffalo. So it's normal. Steve Young, I mean, mean, he did it way back
2: when. that, That stuff happens. North Turner and Troy Aikman. Used to mf each other up one side and down another, right? All the you know, all, all the time during the middle of games, and that's how Troy communicated because he was yeah you know, he's a he's a foul mouth guy when he played. He right, Jason, but North Turner no kept
1: the job. Is Dirk Cutter going to keep his gig in Tampa Bay? I don't know that one. I don't know about because you know the, again
2: you get back to the Glazers, and the Glazers do things in odd ways. And again, the one thing you don't know about this is. Is this to the point where it has to be a divorce? Like, is is Dirk Cutter walking in to Jason Light's office and into the Glazer's office going, I can't work with this guy? If that's the case, then it's a divorce, okay? And Dirk Cutter is probably the one who's going because Jameis Winston is the guy that they invested in. But if it's not that, then I think it's something you work through. The other question that you have that's more important about Dirk Cutter is, why can't you get this offense to be more consistent Like there are some, there are some other issues with this team that I that I question that go beyond the relationship between Jameis and Dirk.
0: Hmm. Give me your take on the Chargers and and looking at how they're coming back. The first five games they were one and four, and now they have the second best defense in National Football League with points allowed. Uh, Do you see there being a a true opportunity for them to win that division? Well,
2: I think they can win this. I mean, look, Saturday is the biggest thing that happens, right? So they got Kansas City on Saturday. That's, I mean, it's a huge game. And in Kansas City, I'm not sure they can, I'm not sure what they're going to do in that game because I'm not sure which, it's hard when you have a rookie head coach. Like you don't know how consistent your team is going to be from week to week with a rookie head coach. So I kind of wonder about that. And especially, you know, I like Anthony Lynn a lot, but in that one in four start that you talked about, there were a couple of games that were winnable. And They could have flipped some games, like the Jacksonville game. They should have flipped the Denver game. They had a chance to flip that game. The Miami game at home, they certainly should have flipped that game, right? So they should be sitting with a two-game lead in in my view. And a lot of that has to do with again, young head coach. You hope he learns. You hope he turns it around. All of that said, look, when you start out with Bosa and Ingram, that's the that's the best combination. That's the best one-two punch of pass rushers, defensive linemen in the league you can wreck a lot of games with those two guys' lines. They stay healthy. Now, I think their other teams are just as good in total because they're deeper. Like You, know, you look at Philadelphia and how they play with their defensive line, or Pittsburgh, how they play with their defensive line. I think those, teams, those, two, those two teams are comparable, but it's because of depth, not because of two stars. Those two stars, when they're on the field, they wreak havoc. And so they create all sorts of opportunities for that team to play. And Again, I, I thought at the beginning of this year that San Diego was a really good bet to make the playoffs if they had done, if they had done what they should have done in winning a couple of those four losses that we, we talked about during that, during that early sh- streak. They'd be in a lot better position. My question is, is this a team that can go on the road and beat either or both Pittsburgh and New England? And I think the answer to that is no, they can't. They might win one of those games. They're not going to win both.
1: Got him with Jason Cole Bleach Report. Jason, if the Raiders lose to the Cowboys on Sunday night, Oakland goes to six and eight. This team has been a major disappointment. Who are you holding accountable? Why do you think the Raiders have underachieved this year?
2: I think it's Jack Del Rio. I like Jack, but Jack. Uh, like he's the one calling the shots for that team. And this team and I think if you went back and you did a study of Jack Del Rio teams, when they were expected to be good, you would find that they ultimately are disappointments. If you're, if you're talking about Jack Del Rio teams when they're not expected to be good, ultimately they end up overachieving. Because a lot of it has to do with Jack Del Rio coaches a lot in the same way mentally and, and emotionally the way that he played. When doubted, he overcame it. When expected to do something, he came up a little bit short. That's why he was a good a very good player and not a great one and so that's to me is they're a reflection of Jack Del Rio
0: Jason when you look at Green Bay after losing Aaron Rodgers um, I've said that the team has gotten much better because of Aaron Rodgers being absent, meaning that the guys had to pick up their play to help out Brett Hundley. Uh, how big of a move is it, is it for this football team bring him back with this team and the energy they have moving forward, and can they get it done by maybe running the table to have a chance, an outside chance of getting the postseason?
2: Yeah, I mean, re- I mean look, I really want to see Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs every year. Um, it's going to cost either Cam Newton or Matt Ryan in all likelihood, or Drew Brees a shot at that, which is unfortunate because you want to see better quarterbacks in the playoffs because you can really make big plays. But, you know, Rogers is the best of all of them. The one thing, you're, you're right, the team has started to play better around him. They've run the ball a little bit better. The defense has been more active. One thing that I worry about with this team a lot is all of a sudden do they exhale and do they say, okay, well, we got, you know, daddy's back, you know, behind center, uh, you know, he'll take care of all these problems and we don't have to play with that kind of, you know, uh, urgency now they can't they they can't afford one slip up and that's why i think that aaron rodgers is talking about he's not coming back to save this team because if that's the mentality then they're going to lose because they can't just walk on a field and be better than people even with aaron rodgers they need to be they need to play with reckless abandon and all out you know all out play for them to rise to what they think they can be
1: Jason, last one for me. Cordell loves it when I play our mutual Stanford card. We all yeah, know David Shaw. We know what Palo Alto means to him, and he said no Not to the NFL anywhere. in the past. Is he going to say no again this offseason? Not going anywhere. Okay. Just want a confirmation.
2: Look, I, I, you know, I've always believed, you know, I, I don't mind if Stanford is used as a stepping stone program as long as we pick the right person to step on the stones. Like, I didn't, that didn't bother me when Jim Harbaugh Used a, used this and you know was there for four years and then went on to the NFL. Didn't bother me at all, and it wouldn't bother me if David Shaw would do the same thing. But I think that David Shaw has done some calculus in his head, which is he can stay there for twenty years right. if he wants and make what you know four million a year and live the life he wants to live in the place he wants to live it with a wife who's ex- extraordinarily happy, running a program the way he wants to run it. Or you can go to the NFL and you can probably make. Five or six million dollars a year, and it's 50 50 whether you survive. So at the end of that, you've probably made what? Somewhere between 12 and 15 million dollars, and now you're out looking for another job and you're bouncing around the country. Whereas you could play it out for the 20 years, making three to four million dollars a year, a pretty good life, a real good life. I'd do, that if, I'd do that in a heartbeat if I knew that I was safe. And right now, he's incredibly safe at Stanford.
1: Although, as you know, unfortunately, four million bucks only get you a one-bedroom apartment now in Palo Alto, based on the real estate. That,
2: that's true. But if you do it for ten years, <laughs> and work your way up to a two-bedroom.
0: If David Shaw is one of the better ones, and, and you wish they had more guys like him in the league, very classy to say the least.
2: Uh, well, you... I pre- Cordell, I appreciate that, and I agree with that. Um, I'm glad we have him. Again, I would It wouldn't. It would neither shock me nor bother me if he decided he wanted to go to the NFL. But again, he's the son of a former NFL coach, who you know Willie bounced around, you know, living all over the place at the whim of of players and and management. And I think that he probably told his son at a certain point, "Look, son, if you want to do that, that's fine. But understand that you don't control your life the way you do right now at Stanford."
1: Jason, as always, we appreciate the great information. Enjoy the games this weekend. Happy holidays, and we'll chat with you soon on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: Happy holidays, guys. Be good. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on TuneIn.
1: 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! The National Football League is on Tune in.